Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Steve. And we're the Crash Course Podcast. Yay! We are. <laughs> we are. It's true. Um, and we're not we're, always clear about that. And, and since I don't want to leave it up to you, chuckleheads, to bring up, we're recording on my birthday. Hooray! Sheesh. All right. How can we make fun of him over this? Uh, there's a lot of ways. We could drop but... the age. We could drop the big number. Are we going to do yes, that? Yes, 72. <laughs> yeah, I'm 72. Uh, my physical age is Steve's mental age. Ooh, right, appropriate. I'm, nice okay post. I thought so. I'm okay with that. I like uh, having the, the brain of a 72-year-old. So breaking news, I just saw this online uh, a few moments before we started recording. Um, gorillas have officially announced, or by gorillas, I mean Damon Albarn, has officially announced there will be a new Gorillas record in 2016. So we can continue our um, pattern of reviewing something Damon Albarn related every year since 2014. All right. Everyday I, I, Robots. I hope we actually find something else just to keep going. Just right, in 2017. Yeah. I want him I want him to pull a Serge Tank in and just build an orchestra. Not produce something orchestral related. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Build an orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, the David Auburn Orchestra. There you go. There that you would go. be I would love that. It's got it a good ring to it. Yeah, it does. it does. In my voice. So for those keeping score at home, in twenty fourteen we reviewed David Alburn's Everyday Robots in episode uh, 109. And then this year we reviewed um, Blur's... Episode 144. Um, Magic Whip, I believe the album was called. Yep. And so next year we have a brand new Gorillaz record, hopefully, and then so we can continue that pattern going. Mm-hmm. And I can keep memorizing the numbers. <laughs> yes, obviously. Um, so without further ado, though, why don't we get into Steve's pick for the week? I'm sure you have a little bit to tell us about the black violin. The black violin? Sure, I'll no, add an article black there. Black violin. Black violin. It is black, black violin. violin. They're basically a hip-hop classical duo. That's a violist and a violinist. The violist is Will B. The violinist is Kev Marcus. First getting this out of the way, yes, I did say they are hip-hop and classical. They are heavily hip-hop influenced. They are heavily classical influenced, or rather classically trained. Let's just put it that way. I'd heard their name for some time, although I properly stumbled onto them through the other gig that I do. I'm a freelance music journalist for Classical Light. That's spelled classical, I-T-E, one word, in case you want to look at my writing there, uh, under the name Steve Nagel. And it was basically an assignment. Just sort of go review uh, their concert. I saw them at the Rockwood back in August. And from what I heard live, I went in skeptical, but came out relatively smitten. Obviously, the term hip-hop classical is bound to raise a lot of eyebrows, but I think both Kev Marcus and Will B embrace that skepticism, otherwise they wouldn't be setting out to challenge it with the multifaceted title of their new album, Stereotypes. I'll recount one quick story uh, that they told at the concert that I saw them at back in August. Apparently, both of them met back in high school orchestra, and that during second period, they'd be playing Beethoven, Mozart, Bach, but on their way to third period, they'd be listening to Biggie, Wu-Tang, Mariah, or quote, whatever was hot. And then he continued to say, so for us, we just put two worlds together. I gotta love the simplicity of that, and also the sentiment of that. They, they grew up loving two things, and it was only natural that they would just combine them when they grew up. So uh, just to describe a little bit about 
uh, the breakdown of this. Will B does a lot of the singing in addition to being the violist, and then Kev Marcus does a lot of the comping in the background. That is to say, when they're not just dueling both violinist and violist together. And back when I saw them, they were also joined by an incredible drummer who frankly could blow the circuit board off any beat machine, if I may say. I wish I knew his name. And then also a DJ who held down the loops and the sound bites and the pre-recorded orchestral strings. But concerts aside, we're going to dig into this style and see how it translates on the album scale. Stereotypes. I just want to say, in relation, since it wouldn't be me if I didn't bring up Nerdcore when talking about anything hip-hop related, I like that a lot of stories that I've found with talking to Nerdcore artists is getting into that specific focus of rap mm-hmm. is that simple also like i liked nerdy things and i like rap so i put it together i mean that's pretty much what mc frontlot says is that you know he liked the, in his documentaries he liked hip-hop he liked ninja turtles he mm-hmm. liked video games so why not just put it together and i like that that also very simple description you like that he liked two things and then you like what he liked out of them <laughs> i liked the simplicity in which they expressed it the yes. fact that they said that it was i liked this we played this and we put it together mm-hmm. And listening to a fusion of something like classical and hip-hop is not something that's even new for us. I mean, as far back as Flowbot, Circle in the Square... Episode 10. It was a combination of rock, alternative rock, classical instrumentation, though maybe not a classical form, and hip-hop itself. I mean, we're this is something that has come up on, on the podcast This is definitely before. the era of fusion and yeah. our... our 160-something sample of those albums. It was inevitable, yeah, that we were going to get to something like this. Absolutely. But normally not as on the nose. Normally you'd be like, yeah, well, this is just one element, so we'll infuse it in a song or two. We come across that case a lot, but this is just really on the grand scale. They treat them uh, as just equally important elements of their life, and then they just put it together. This itself, though, Stereotypes, is their debut album under uh, Universal um, and Universal, a pretty big label. Yeah. However, uh, I do believe they've had a couple of other previous albums, or at least one previous album, um, off of which they played several things during the concert, and it's definitely worth checking out as well. You can kind of hear the formation of their sound, or at least the, the marketing, I, I, I certainly am not going to say gimmick, but you need to kind of sell people on the fact that it is both hip-hop, classical, and, uh, you know, I think they succeeded. They have a pretty good marketing... Uh, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah. Really? Thing. Promoter? Thing, yeah. PR Promotion. campaign. There we go. If you want the... You got there. there it you took go. you a little while. Sheesh. So the album is called Stereotypes, and track one is also called Stereotypes. And I think that it was inevitable for them to take a look at Stereotypes just considering the construction of the band. That's why I said it's a multifaceted title. Right. Because, of course, you know, they are African-American. They have things to say. There's a lot to say about, I think, the existence of Stereotypes as it's seen in the 21st century or as it's been seen. And uh, many people often associate it as being sort of a, like a hip-hop-related thing because, of course, hip-hop is constantly dealing with the fact that it is or it can be construed as falling under certain stereotypes and certainly the people who play it. So, of course, you know, they're just out to shatter people's world with the fact that they're probably the most two opposing musical styles possible. Yeah. You know, and both of the personality types that go with it. They are everything. Yes. So, track one stereotypes. Track one stereotypes. So, this starts with a a beautifully sweeping string intro, which, I mean, duh. We're, We're expecting that if you've looked up the band and researched them at all. But what's interesting about this song as an, from an intro perspective at a grand view is that they it's not just your classic kind of song, lyrics, music. There, there's more to it than that. 
Well, it comes stems from the fact that being classically trained, uh, they, they have a more virtuoso style about them. So of course they're not just going to do what, here's a stereotype, what you'd expect from a lot of hip-hop music is that if they are going to employ strings, there's going to be that loop machine. There's going to be that tendency to just, you know, have their four-bar pattern, and then it's going to repeat over and over and over again for the duration of the track. Here, it's a little bit more fluid. They embellish, they employ their the whole their whole knowledge base. They take the basic rhythm that they set up, which is a very hip-hop rhythm, and they build the string section into, well, leading pieces as opposed to purely harmonizing or purely rhythm work. That right away was what caught my ear. Mm -hmm. It's not something that is too unusual, but one of our biggest complaints in the last few weeks is a lead guitar that sounds like a rhythm or is a riff that just repeats itself over and over again. This is taking an instrument that, well, is very well known for its solo qualities, yep. and they're using it to its fullest, just right out of the gates, and I love this. Of course, I mean, being a violist, being a violinist, they're, they're gonna wanna use their instrument, not just have it take a back seat. Um, now, speaking to, a little bit to the point I made before about the notion of stereotypes, they, there, there is definitely a little bit of a bent that this first track has, being the title track, and it starts off with a kind of tone that feels as if there's obviously a problem to be dealt with. It, it has the tone almost of a requiem, uh, reaching really down more toward like the low register, and then by 25 seconds in, they really hit their stride. This is what they do best. This is, everything is not just really slow and flowing here. This is uh, one instrumentalist really just going at it for a full-fledged solo. And yes, at the same time that he begins, there's also the beat machine. I'm going to overlook that for a moment because, as I said, I, I uh, saw the drummer in concert, and the drummer was phenomenal. But still, you get m mainly the same effect here. It, it at least keeps everything kind of tense. And then uh, it's just either the violist and the violinist sort of going back and forth. This is the dueling that I spoke of. First, the violin, it seems, extremely ornate, just uh, color up and down the line. And then starting around like 36 seconds, it seems like this is where the viola enters. I believe, of course, it may just be the violin over itself again. Sometimes it's hard to tell. You can only really pick it out when the viola is at its lowest register because it can do that. Violin can't. So I want to talk about... From here, what comes next as far as song structure? We get sound bites. We get so typically in an intro track, it's not uncommon to have sound bites or sketches. I would, or I would call it more of like a a news sound bite or maybe a media montage. So it's a media media montage is a good way to put it. It's of different people, young kids, adult women, adult men. Men, talking women, children basically giving their own definition, definition of, of what they feel or or that they're reading uh, what stereotype means. Correct. But it comes off as a little bit more PSA than anything else, and that was a bit of a detractor. I did appreciate the story and the theme they were setting up right away, but the theatrics of it did come across a little too PSA. And that... It didn't hurt it, but it wasn't really enhancing what the instrumentation was doing at this point. PSA is a good way to put it, the whole public service announcement concept. I think it's um, the fact that it can be a little bit of a hip-hop trope, but also just a hip -hop, a, a, a trope for maybe music in general. This was We found this back in Muse. Um, lots of different bands you know, infuse this, and a lot of times the reason I said uh, news soundbite or, or media montage is because a lot of times it's being used in connection with uh, statements that you'd hear on the news that are about a certain thing going on at the time, a kind of political statement on behalf of the artists, which infuses, you know, contemporary stuff. Well, in this case, it's not exactly that, so I'm going to give it some credit for at least setting up the notion of what the album is about. 
confronting stereotypes. And so, of course, you want to look at a, a, a wide variety of what people's impression of the word is. It's a neat tactic, um, but I was more impressed by the thing that came later on the album, after another solo. Uh, it goes back to another soundbite, but this, it's really can't call it a soundbite. It's a flat-out speech, I believe, on the part of Kev Marcus, the violinist, who starts to say his own experience with with stereotypes not just the definition but what he's actually going through and i was very impactful at that moment he actually flat out starts stating about people fearing him because of what he looked like being a big guy being muscular being african-american just going out and saying people were nervous getting onto the elevator with exactly and this was so impactful for me this was a personal story right in your face and it was heartfelt because it was so nonchalant about it my only argument would be that i feel like the the previous portion adds impact to that second portion because you got random people that possibly were not connected to the record or maybe were but still seem to be a random assortment of people defining stereotypes sure. to a personal story of how stereotyping has affected someone and i think that dichotomy adds breath and strength to the track. It was a good bridge, I will say that, at least as far as the cohesion of the track is concerned, and it's bound together by what he's clearly able to do best in terms of breaking that stereotype, and you find that within the speech as well. The fact that he is a violinist, um, the fact that he's a classically trained violinist, he's able to go on stage and essentially be something that people don't necessarily have to fear. It's just its own entity. It, it completely throws away that entire persona that he feels he's class, falsely classified as. So, yeah, pretty powerful for a first track. This is certainly the power of hip-hop. Um, no, well, yeah, and I mean... Over that of perhaps other genres at the time. Certainly other genres can be politically oriented, but uh, hip-hop, because it has the foundations of having, you know, that, that uh, uh, free speech, uh, you know, public announcement in the background uh, the, for the freestyle, then it, it can just go up and cram so much within a short amount of time. And the music doesn't have to stop, it just flows in the background and can create whatever mood there needs to be at that moment. It can, it can go full-fledged speech without it becoming a trope. Yeah. Or, in fact, the trope in this case works for it because the idea of just telling it like it is has always been a very core identity component of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, complaints or praising or what have you whatever there's uh whatever the the artist wants to say they're allowed to say it that was the whole premise in so many different ways and here it's using to its full effect absolutely and just one more uh note about the solos here to to hone in on the on the music itself is that certainly the the central solo the one between the the soundbite section and the speech section that was more the viola that was and it's really it's really constructed as if it's a, kind of a jam like it's really on the same uh, set of chord progressions but there's so it's so ornate it's so embellished you know you 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 feel it being more interesting on a second by second basis you can kind of ignore ignore the fact that there's uh, a, a routine chord progression there so from here this track um we go to invisible which is track two and what i like about going from stereotypes to invisible is that the uh, emotionally and structurally there's a connecting piece um aesthetically rather is what i'm saying you know um stereotypes is talking about dealing with stereotypes and is invisible is mostly about this defiance in the face of whatever and not being perceived as invisible, not being ignored. This um, is also joined by another rapper uh, that would be Pharrell Monch. Which, I think that 
considering what we came from the first track, the fact that we have a, a vocalist here, a rapper, who's clearly doing something very unique for the track, it added another layer that I was really intrigued by from the get-go, from the minute he starts rapping. Because I think this sort of it enhances the tension a little bit, and it, it shows a lot of unrest. The the obvious unrest, everything that everyone that that everyone's thinking, it's basically going on right here. And you see it in the lyrics. It's not coy about it. I'm not invisible. I'm not invisible. I'm not invisible this time. For fuck shit, you don't understand. You can't pretend not to care. That won't make me disappear. As I rise, it's clear. Here I stand. Here I am. That mixed with the <laughs> murky instrumentation, it, it has this looming feeling like. There's definitely a latent aggression, frustration, and and many other things and conveyed to, just within seconds. And to of be this clear, song. that's just the chorus, and it's very smooth. This is the this is actually the singing portion. It's yeah. not the rapping portion. Mm -hmm. This is this is. I would almost describe this chorus as having somewhat of a flat quality in his vocals. In other words, you know, we're always honing in on on uh, little things like the the vibrato or the falsetto. None of that is here, and that's not a critique. I think it's pretty good just to kind of speak plainly what he feels. And, and there's very little embellishing that needs because the mixing quality is actually rather superb. You hear that just, you know, spotlighted. And meanwhile, the, the strings are very, very tense in the background. And he's just saying what he feels. And you're in the zone, at least for that portion, before we finally get the rapping segment. Well, the, the other big part is that the rhythm has slowed down here. The beat has slowed down and has gone deeper. So having it to be a little bit less, I guess, Present to actually having it uh, really take a, a kind of a backseat to what's going on there and just provide the tempo does a lot to allow what gets laid over uh, over on top of it have more force. The higher attacks of the strings that that come in and out, even though they are backing up vocals in a lot of ways, does a lot to create that apprehension, to create that tension that's going on here because it's not competing with anything else too dramatically on top on top of just trying to support the vocal work. Right, and it's 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 solid what it follows up upon, too, because I don't mean to uh, skip over the beginning. The beginning is actually a much more prolonged intro uh, of, without any vocals at all. It's just a, a, a long stretch of... I don't even really want to call it soling because there's a lot of comping going on here, but it, it's, it was clear how some of their influences start to step in, like Middle Eastern influences, some exotic twangs here, which is... At least I think born out of you know classical tradition because at least for years composers were kind of obsessed with using those motifs and it was just an amazing intro for almost up up, up to a minute it just felt so fluid it has everything you want and it, it, it builds this drama which just feels released within that chorus. I think that's the best way to describe what's being created here in this track, this drama. I think that's also why it's connected so well to the first track, because they're both very dramatic, almost theatrical, but not in a hokey kind of way, but in a very kind of intentional and purposeful way. Right. The rapping that actually steps in also has an incredible flow to it, because it, while it's not syllable by syllable that really starts getting into the rhythm. Actually, Rather, I, thought, I thought it did, really. It was no, pretty it tight. No, was, it was the sentence work, the actual phrase work. There would be five words or 15 words putting the same framework here, but they never seemed hurried when they were trying to cram in extra, or they never seemed like they were being drawn out when there was less going on there. It didn't matter really what he was saying because it all just seemed to line up no matter how much info was being thrown at you. A lot of alliteration, too. I am not invisible. We are at a precipice of a point that is pivotal. A criminal society of sick individuals that murder is more of a ritual, unconventional analog man in a digital world where there's no one to listen to, where they'll kill us and show us the visuals. Images so unforgettable. Infidels give us the minimal amount while they're feeding us poisonous chemicals. 
We are not identical, no, but I am not invisible, no. You want me to vanish, it's pitiful, and I don't understand your subliminal messages. It's, it's, it's pretty tight stuff. This is what I meant by on the nose. <laughs> I mean, they really get to it here in the rap. Well, what I love about the flow of this song, too, first of all, the flow of that verse, I think, is expert. Um, I think it's just it's something that pops as soon as you hear it because of the way he's, he's, where he's focusing on every line, where he drops. Each word, it's so intentional and so focused. I think it's fantastic. But what I like about the structure of the song, too, is that we have a unique structure, whereas in, you know, a lot of pop or pop-structured songs, we'll get verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Here, in this song, we get an intro, then we get the chorus right up front, the verse, a repetition of the chorus, and then instead of another verse to follow, we get an instrumental interlude, so where the in instrumentalists who are so great on this record, mm -hmm. Black Violin, get to show off a bit, and then we go back to the chorus before the outro. There's no second verse, and I like that. I like that they let the instruments breathe, take their moment to expel their version of the drama. It also is a way of saying everything relies on this verse. It's yeah. like, it's like this total is the spotlight, this is what you get, and he crams it in in a very short span of time, and it just, you sit with it. The rest of the, the song really is just to kind of, I don't know, keep that, that feeling of unease going. It's to hammer it home. Yeah. And on top of all this, the violin, the lead violin, or viola, I couldn't really tell that string apart, it is continuously evolving. It's continuously just breaking up its own pattern. In, in, the, in the middle solo? And everything, as it's going along, it doesn't seem like it really falls back on repetition. The, I believe that was mostly violin, although uh, at, at that moment I, f I found that almost everything else seems to take back seat, uh, except maybe just the backbeat and then the violin. But then after a few seconds, the orchestra, uh, and a few leading solo elements of that orchestra, just probably pre-layered tracks, they start creeping up above the rest in a very, very accented fashion. I absolutely love that that orchestral comping in the background, which isn't to take away from the solo, which itself, I've already said in the, in the intro, was pretty phenomenal. But a lot of care was placed in, in the mixing here uh, of the other string elements as they bounce off of the main line. And the whole thing comes across as very improvisational, as very off-the-cuff, yet so naturally fits within the framework of everything else they're doing, it obviously had to be pre-created. It obviously had to be methodically yeah. fall, and uh, still, thought out. There is still looping like within the uh, or orchestra for exactly. much of the choruses. You know, there, there's a lot of just like straight but up quarter you, notes, but that keeps it tense. When you start following just that single string line that I latched onto towards the latter half of, of this song, it was just phenomenal watching it go up and down and, and start playing around with the scale. It was always fun. It was always interesting. Yeah, something about that solo, too, I, I especially, well, I noticed in the beginning, I also noticed it in the tail end, is that I feel like those that Middle Eastern influence that I, I noticed earlier, it seems to creep out here in such a big way. I, I feel like I'm almost watching, like, Aladdin, you know, jump off one building to the other in Agrabah or something. It's it's very exotic. They have their clear brand of classical. You can't just say that as a... Uh, as an umbrella. And what I like about that also, just the fact that you mentioned Aladdin specifically and how problematic as an afterthought that is for the culture that it's supposed to represent. It's like it feeds into this the we, problematic society that's being brought to attention here. That may or may not be the insinuation. Well, 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 I, I understand that. I'm saying from an outside perspective looking in that I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I know people from that culture who've mentioned that Aladdin is problematic. And so it's just, it's still continuing to feed into stereotypes and our perceptions and all of that stuff, which is, a, is the whole conversation piece of the album. 
Sure. I mean, I, I think they probably, they wouldn't have kept it as broad as stereotypes right. if they didn't mean, I think, to employ more just than just one thing. Right. We have the race issue in America covered. We have, obviously, the music element covered. I'm sure they, they want to bring in as much as possible because exactly. everyone's going to have to deal with it at some point in their own lives. From here, we go to track three, Another Chance. Um, this is doesn't have any featured artists. This is just black violin. Um, and this is where we get what I like to call orchestra R&B, <laughs> which I mean... You well, thought into okay. that real yeah. well, didn't you? I mean, here we get a much heavier reliance on the rhythm, a much more intricate rhythm, and a much heavier reliance on the strings to complement that well, rhythm. They just dive headfirst into right. this song. There's very little intro. There's no there's no elaborate introduction like we had in the previous... It doesn't this waste is, any time. It just gets right off running. It's also full of unrest, but it's in more of a romantic and regretful way. I mm -hmm. mean, this is where... I, and I, I, this is the one little, I feel it's more of a parallel theme in this album, but obviously there's a lot of, like, love and loss tracks here that, that mm -hmm. you know, may or may not really fit into the overall theme, but it's, it's something they have to get off their chest. And frankly, they do it really, really well. I even, in some sense, maybe prefer these tracks. They, they hammer it home because they, they bring... They bring their, their classical influence and the more romantic qualities of, say, that Middle Eastern uh, stylized violin. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. First of all, the R&B element. The uh, orchestra and the backbeat, they're just filled with action and drama here. Even the piano, which we have a piano now. <laughs> uh, I should mention that was present at the concert as well. Um, Will B, I believe, does most of the piano playing. Just light piano playing a lot of times, even while he's singing or while he's rapping. So... It's a it's it's a subtle element here. It's not like a huge part of the album, but it's it's still pretty still pretty important. But the melody here is what I want to hone in on, and that's what they really just start up with right up front. And it, the gist of it is, I can't change the past, but I control the future. And then that whole I just want I just want another chance. You know, it feels like it comes out of the love scenario here, but it also may be that another chance to fix something, something in their past, to do something right again, which is why it sounds so tragic in the process. I feel like this song, emotionally at least, feels like a plea for help. So while you can plead for help within a romantic relationship that's going wrong, you can also plead for help in a situation due to unrest for whatever reason. Yeah, so so I, I really think that it's more universal than Always that. want to keep that in the back of your head throughout I, the album. I feel like the R&B element naturally romanticizes it a little bit, but I feel like there's more to it. I almost said that it felt like, and I feel bad saying this, but if Montel Jordan had more class is what this song reminds me of. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but I think that what's interesting about this song is even though it feels a little more structured than the previous two tracks as far as a, a mainstream run-through... It still had enough uh, intricate changes from section to section that it still jumped out. It didn't fall in place. Well, one of my favorite things was that the piano seemed to be trading off with the strings a lot as to who was doing what. Were they comping the rhythm? Were they comping the vocals? Were they comping or just being or just taking a little bit more of a center stage piece? I like this. The flow between the two instruments is hard to follow, except for one little part. There is a, a, a tonal shift that kind of drops down, not quite suddenly, but dramatically. And this tonal shift, I know for me, was a little bit weird, though I know the two of you did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, this was around like 1 minute 38 seconds, uh, maybe up until about the 2 minute mark. I would almost call it a, a flat out bridge. Some of the chord changes in here, messing with like these momentary modulations, they push this further and away from like the core of the track. And, and it, I thought it was a really nice, you know, almost like an act 2. It, granted, it's fleeting. We're talking about 1 minute 38 to, to 2 minutes. 22 seconds of just flat out expiration. And then they pull it back. They pull it back to the core of this track. But frankly, 
I'm all about the core of this track. I, I, I may love that moment where it departs, but I, I could sit and listen to this track maybe on loop for a significant amount of time. I will say that at the concert, I was completely in the zone here, and it's for one specific reason. That was apparent also within the first few seconds. After they say that, that the first few lines of the, of the melody, the violin enters in here with the secondary line where it just reaches out. It, it's background, but it's a wonderfully independent, almost melodic element. Um, it just, it's this figuration in the back where the highest note will amount to about like the C sharp. And then that's the, the seven of the minor four chord that they're currently on. And then it holds that out with this beautiful vibrato before finally resolving back to one. It's this really beautiful moment, which grows on me every single time I hear it. And they use it on every single phrase here of, of the chorus. It, it shows that loops can really, really work well if, they're, if the initial idea is just so solid. And the chorus itself, the, the lyrical work that's going on there, the vocal work that's going on there, excuse me, is not droning, but it's so integrated with the rhythm that the voice really does become an instrument. Mm -hmm. And that aspect, the way it kind of breaks apart because it's not just a simple repetition of words, it is a more intricate than that. It starts paralleling what the piano is doing, what that violin line is doing, and it itself. Oh, yeah, the piano really does... kind of closes off that same phrase. Exactly. And the have the rhythmic approach of of the vocals into that beautiful uh, violin melody in the background, and then into the piano, closing it off with almost like a jazzy pattern, just which, like developing the, the, these chords just rising in succession. Which really having, beautiful. Having the vocals really integrate with the instruments themselves did a great job, a really great job, of me. Getting the idea, getting the information in that first rendition, but then just enjoying the musicality of it yeah. later on. And that was great. That's where I'm with Steve. I could listen to this on repeat for a while. Mm -hmm. And I want to make it clear that even though I said it seemed more structured than the previous tracks, I don't feel like that's a detriment. And again, I think even though that I noticed that, again, it was the intricacies throughout the track, the integration of the vocals with the instrumentation that also really solidified this track for me. I'm in agreement also. I think that this track could just kind of go on forever and I would groove to it. Yeah, it, it's that's a hard thing to make a track do that or to compose a track in that way because more than often, more than not, we're usually finding discrepancies in that. It's just like, okay, come on, you've said your point, move it along. But it's just that there's power in the elements here. From here we go to track four, Addiction. So this song starts up with a sweeping piano line and this kind of whooshing sound effect. It's kind of, I, the only word I can think of making up is reverby. Like, it's, <laughs> it's reverby. kind of weird, not drone. I, I would actually describe it as more of a phasing sound. Phasing, okay. We'll go through yeah, that. Sure. But the register being kind of low on the end and high on the other end, it doesn't read the heights that I kind of would really associate that with. It's so low and so vibration that I don't know other... So full of... Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, it's an incredible sound to hear with the piano. That's the thing, because it's not really like... It's it's the kind of sound you'd think would like really unnerve you and like put you in another realm, but the piano is just so delicate, so peaceful, so serene. You're not really affected by this. First of all, the track here is called Addiction, and this is really sticking more toward the, the, the love parallel theme of this album, or the love lost here, because he essentially says... Feeling down, showed a little bit of my love, showed a little bit of love in my life. Wish I had wings so I could tell the world goodbye. 
and and essentially the, the the main the core line here is you were my addiction for a long time and now I'm over it and now I'm over it. There's a sadness in here, but also that peace in in that you know focus on the aftermath. This is the move on song. And the music, that uplifting tone gives it this feel of floating above or soaring in the sky. Mm-hmm. I also said it also. I wish remi- I had wings. <laughs> it also reminds me of probably every seal song I've ever heard. Oh, I there's just, seal is plastered all over. Uh, I just track. feel like okay, the, I, mean, I didn't make that connection, so I just want to throw that out there. Yes, I see it in retrospect, but there's a couple of little things like the bongo-ish rhythm that's going on there. It's not pure bongos, but there's enough of that kind of timbre being thrown in there that I really, I feel like it's starting to develop its own identity separate from Seal. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's I was just saying, I was more bringing it up as an influence. I will say, I didn't think of Seal until Matt mentioned it, and then I was like, ooh, yeah, it's Seal. <laughs> but I, mean, I don't find it that foreign for these guys to be influenced by him. I mean, he is a very pervasive and prevalent R&B and pop singer for a long time. It also has to do with the chord progression. Certain little things keep this as a, as um, serene, but also slightly ambiguous, because there is the thing, well, obviously this was an important element in his life. You were my addiction for a long time, and now I'm over it, now I'm over it. Whoever is completely over their addictions? Does that, that ever really truly happen? I don't think no. so. Most uh, people no. who have big addictions, they will still say they kind of crave it from time to time. Well, until we actually develop a way to rewire the human brain so that we can shut down the addiction centers for things everything everywhere from yeah, yeah, yeah. blogging until to then. cigarettes to crack cocaine, you can't get rid of an addiction. You can't it's something you always get rid of it. And Which is why I still feel like there is some some unease with this, even perhaps in the sweeping, phasing sound. There's this just like something he's hiding in the background here. And it's also in the chords from like G major, which is the home key here, up to B flat major, which doesn't really have a place here. That's a bit of a mode mixture, and it's still on a four a four chord cycle here. But that shifting around, sort of into another key momentarily, and then back again. That that keeps us on a sort of strange round. You're not completely at home. And speaking of that hiding element, the piano is comping so tightly at times, you can't hear it comping. Its yeah. level is so tight with the vocal work that if you look for it, and I started looking for it when I first started noticing it, you can actually hear a piano that is almost in exact harmony with the vocal work. And it's so nice because it ever so slightly offsets the twinge itself that the vocalist is doing. Yeah. It's an incredible effect that they're going along with. Another thing here is the the the, the violin. Um, lots of slides here. Lots of lots of glissandos. It says sad a lot. But it's not just because glissandos <laughs> are awesome anyway. I always point them out just because they're cool. But because here they're particularly slow and they linger for long stretches of time and they're almost out of place sometimes. They like they want to leap away from the track. That's where I'm saying it's saying sad. That yeah. little bit right there. It's not just it sad. It says sad to me and uneasy. It's confusion. Yeah. It's a little bit of apprehension. All these things are excellent, excellent pieces of imagery to really associate with the addiction theme that that's going on here. Besides just the title, just just the idea of not being able to break away, it great it creates a great frame of emotional reference Absolutely. for this song. And then finally, there's the middle segment here. The this is another one of those sort of kind of ternary tracks where it it, it pushes into this segment where they kind of step out and do their own thing. I hesitate to really call it a bridge because it's just, 
it really pushes the boundaries. They push away from this four chord progression entirely and it becomes very grand, very cinematic, but also again more in the romantic sense. And it feels sort of like the violins are hitting the harmonics here, which also keeps it very just like, you know, screeching at the top of its lungs, trying to say something out of desperation. And it's really beautiful. This is around the two minute, five second mark. This string rise that they're doing, which I, I do thoroughly love, is also being coupled with some tapping piano work. Yep. This... This, though, is a little bit of a, uh, I, I want to say a cop-out in some ways, because, yes, it's breaking the framework and doing something really new for the song. This is not something new in general. This seems like a real old hat kind of a trick. Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I to be perfectly honest, you're going to find, like, little old hat tricks, you know, in various places throughout this album. I think that really is a little part of the the stereotype in itself or part of maybe the skepticism that a lot of people would have going in here because of course it's not completely like hip-hop and classical have never ever you know right. you know had a dance together before yes. they, they this is obviously not new new yeah I, I, so you're gonna find little things here and there little things where obviously the way in which they were employed has been done before but i'm, I'm more into i'm more to see the larger picture i think with this album sure um i also want to bring to attention the vocals for a minute again because i want to talk about the call and response points in the middle of the song. I just like how one vote, it's either the vocal is doubled or a call and response between both of them doing vocals, but either way, it's one at an even register and then one at a falsetto. And I just, I love that dichotomy. It's just, it sounds so crisp and so beautiful. And then it's later uh, re reproduced with the way the instrumentation sort of ends out the song with uh, like an echoing effect in the outro where it rises and then drops back down. Mm -hmm. And this back and forth is, it's borderline an epic piece, an epic idea kind of a thing. And then it just starts fulfilling itself. It's not getting fleshed out, not getting filled out. It fulfills itself. There's no other way for me to, to do it because by the time this song ends, it is immensely satisfying for me. It is a great ending in my eyes because it didn't try to go and be that epicness that it might have done. It didn't try to peter out. It just, it just bloomed. No, I feel Perfectly like for me. I feel like that's that's an apt way to put it. Like maybe he finally did find the the, the satisfaction or the the peaceful uh, the serenity that's that it. was suggested in the beginning. Satisfaction. That's yeah. what I really felt out of this. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a it's a tough track because again, having start, started off with like feeling down, showed a little bit of my love in my life. I wish I could say goodbye to the world. It's really like there's a thin line between being over addiction and escapism. Yeah, and I sure. think that's kind of what this is, uh, you know, referencing. So now we go to track five, Shaker Song, which is indeed an old Shaker Song. You'll so, probably know it just from the core melody. Essentially reworked, though, here. This yeah. is more embellished. It's honing in more in like a flat six, a flat three, just to modernize it, but not even entirely. It still sounded incredibly like it could have been written years ago. I believe that this particular Shaker song was like up to at least at least 100, uh, 200 years ago, I believe. First thing I want to point out is that this is our first true instrumental track. Um, it's got a kind of jaunty, folky sound, which is attributed to what 
Steve was talking about earlier kind of plays into that, which just gives it an interesting structure. And then about a little less than a minute, it goes into a more hip hop influenced fun kind of take on that same but thing. But also it's completely instrumental. Uh, yeah. This is like the first track that is completely instrumental. Yeah. It does seem to be more beat focused than anything else that we've uh, heard to up to this point. But at the same time, the rhythm section is not intruding on the very playful tones that we're getting with uh, the uh, string the, work. The core shaker song melody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, as you start to say, Matt, the whole hip-hop change. This was a pretty cool moment and probably probably the biggest like piece of hip-hop cred that maybe this entire album has just because it went full force, not even just, you know, using elements. But around 54 seconds, it's just full on hip hop the the bass kicks in and it's that really deep bass that you get out of like you know just like full-fledged rap songs from the 90s into the 2000s uh all, we also have a little bit of mode mixture we shift it down to minor we were in g major now we're down in g minor and also it's full of pizzicato here that's that's how they really keep the the thumping going the um pizzicatos i think part of it was was pizzicato other parts might have been more marcato but it was it was Really, a, a great just setup and a, a real strong shift for this song because, of course, they would pull that on you. Go from the Shaker song into something completely immersed in, you know, the last 10 years. But it still has that Shaker idea going to it, and that's what's great about it. Uses, it. it uses the theme. You can exactly. hear the theme in, in the background uh, using that little pizzicato part. But those violins, uh, excuse me, those strings, because one's a viola. And are... also, there's probably the back layers, we don't know. <laughs> They really do have uh, an incredible element of vocal uh, idea behind them, more than any other piece uh, to date in this album. It's They're really replacing the vocalists at this point, and it's incredible just following along with them. And also the way that, that bass kicked in, it was almost as if you were about to get the baritone rapper, you know, like in the vein of Wands or something like that. Yes. It's, it's the way it felt, so it, it's... It, felt like that that pivotal moment in the middle of a hip-hop track where they would just go all out. I also like that the drum machine here, even though it's busting its ass to keep this awesome rhythm going, it's not distracting. It's not overwhelming. It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, a, it's that was part of a beginning. perfect blend. And also the fact that the instrumentation in this track features a plethora of piano rolls that kind of really just keep this kind of fluidity yeah, lots, to lots the track. Lots of rolls, lots of like up and down arpeggiation. It just, it almost sounded like a harp at times. Yeah. But the way the strings get attacked, the tonal shifts that they actually go through, and really just even the speed of, of how fast they're playing is great. And it does a lot to, uh, to really emulate the vocal work, but it's also just a really fun time. It's more later I'll, on I'll, when I'll they kind it. of kick up the double time thing with the sixteenth notes in the background, but the melody keeps on trucking along. Um, I like a lot of little elements of this track. It's all it's all in the in the in the details. Like for instance, the the chromatic scales, the downward progressions of the piano steps in here with. It's just it's so simple. It's so simple, but it's just so perfect for that moment. Yeah. That's in addition to the roll, but it does that more more in this uh, fifty four second segment. And then you get the main theme again. So it's still got its own structure. It's got its inner structure. It goes back to the main theme. Then it goes through a little departure. Um, more around eh, the vein of like 1 minute 45. It it takes on a little bit more drama, it seems, at this point. Uh, I know you made like a comparison. You felt like you were in Zelda. Yes, and, it has a very uh, open area kind of a feel. Yeah. Yet there was still a little bit of darkness around it. This was a very 
imagey driven part for me so like a piratey sec section yeah it's just i don't know whatever drama is in your head you could probably apply to this um you know which would have to relate i think in some core sense to the types of drama you'd expect in a contemporary of the shaker song melody but still it's 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 thoroughly relatable it's themes we always go back to so i think this is a pretty good you know you can't really completely call this a cover because obviously these songs are like infinitely reinventable like like jazz standards practically but they're they're doing their own spin to it well i think it works it's open enough that you can put yourself into it you can imprint yourself on it and i think that's what really gives it the versatility that's that's what they were doing after all and then they did go big big towards the end of the track where they go with that pretty much thrashing Yeah, yeah, just out, all out thrashing. It's just uh, and it keeps speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, adding in extra notes, extra notes on top of everything else that's going on. It's just a great culmination kind of celebration piece. I even like the way they built into that. The piano solo just kind of built to this little trill that just kind of like fades into the background. Really, really expert piano work, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're just thrashing out all to the end, all quarter notes. Maybe a little bit overbearing at this point, but I, I did especially like at the tail end where the piano sort of rejoined to do this little Jerry Lee Lewis thing, <laughs> kind of joining in with the thrashing itself. It was, uh, it, it had its own inner, inner logic, I think. It, it came to a kind of crescendo that I think kind of just was, there was nowhere else the track could have gone. Yeah. This was the only appropriate ending, I don't think I that, Yeah, like. I don't think the song is really written yeah. with an ending in mind, come yeah. to think of it. It's a core melody. While it did, uh, for me, Addiction was a nice, like, f- culmination without really going big. This was just fun to go big. To have, you know, really just them having fun with the music itself and just playing it out. Yeah. It puts us back at square one for the following track. Track six, Send Me a Sign, featuring um, uh, Melanie Fiona and Black Thought. Uh, Mel- Melanie Fiona does some does R&B singing on this track and then Black Thought does some rapping. Um, and what I love about the melody of the song from the moment it starts is it has this very majestic but haunting kind of feel to it. It's not like anything we'd heard before. It's kind of got its own character here. Well, it's a different kind of tone because it really doesn't seem to have the same level of beat work we had really been doing. The rhythm was kind of lacking in the very beginning. And this allowed... A nice, like, rise to fall kind of a progression uh, to go along in the introduction of the track. I think it's just because it was a little bit more melody-focused, but, I mean, to say no rhythm, it, it, really, this was it, probably the most no R&B rhythm. track I think we'd had up until this point. It started with no, quote, rhythm section. Yeah, really. it, wasn't, it wasn't as strong, um, and you're focused more on other things, I think, in the beginning. Like, the piano really sounds, again, really more like a harp than anything else here. Lots of rolls. Um, amidst a lot of pizzicatos again, but it's the lyrics in this track that really reach out. It, it's it's the the primary melody sung by Melanie Fiona, which is just for the first verse here. Every day is another day when we let ourselves get away with murder, and the only crime we're charged with is love. And we need and we need to say what we need, cause we ain't getting any younger. And I'm right here. And then finally the chorus, which is also Melanie Fiona. So send me a sign, cause I don't have anywhere to be tonight. Think about it. It could just be you and I, because you're the only one that's worth more than time. So send me a sign. That's a pretty strong line right there. It's very powerful. Worth more than time. And, and then, it's, it's very it's very elongated. This this chorus really takes its time. It, it has a very heavy beat at this point. This is when the R&B, quote, beat work, rhythm work, really yep. does take a step up. But this is very a stated and sort of verse-oriented piece. It, it does uh, allow itself to be drawn out to have some fairly long pauses for a rhythm section. This 
does a lot to focus on the individual voice and the individual nature of the more lead-oriented instruments again. Well, you're taken out of out of a little bit out of the album because you have a completely separate singer. Um, granted, we had had featured earlier, but it was still more in the rapping vein. You still kind of felt like you were in the but the female vocalist. Obviously, this is going to be a little bit of a spotlight track, so obviously there's a spotlight on her vocals. But there's more than that because we do have the rap, which is sung by Black Thought. And frankly, I, I'm willing to say is even almost as strong, if not stronger, than the, the rap we got earlier on by Farrah Monch on um, Invisible. From a place that's never been depicted on the map, a place where emptiness and substance overlap, we have potential that is seen impossible to tap. So past the future from that Luther couldn't hold us back. Some others look for love as if it's fallen off its course, but love had only been obscured at times when we were lost. And sadly, I already had what I was reaching for, in thinking it was me and more that I was keeping warm. But we belong where we belong and stand a lot to lose. So all that's keeping on and creeping all along is not to move. And even goes further from there. It is an amazing, like, wordsmithing that, frankly, I really haven't seen too often. Like, Macklemore was one of my favorites uh, from over the past few years. And even he didn't quite reach this potential in most of his songs it was it's it's just so hard i mean we even screwed up a few times outside the podcast trying to get through this like this is just tight and amazing work but well first of all just even the the, the concept of of a place where emptiness and substance overlap is a very very visceral statement yeah the absolutely. idea that that there's there's some little hazy middle ground i mean it's it's a it's a strange thing send me a sign because all things considered melanie fiona is really giving the impression this is this is again more in the parallel love theme of this track this is um of this album this is this is focusing more on the fact that yeah, she wants someone to be with her. She she believes that that's the one. You know, it's it's through that lens. And then all of a sudden, here it almost seems like a diatribe. But in in some sense, it is kind of like a narrative of the one thing that we're all searching for. That whole concept. And he describes it very eloquently. Yeah. Yet he doesn't really put a specific name to it. It's still just that one thing. Yeah. It's so open yet so specific. It's a great combination. I I love it. This could, is could really one actually describe love as a, as the place where emptiness and substance overlap. It's a, it's I, I've actually never heard a better description of love. Frankly, it's, no one it's, else can describe it. It's a it. literary masterpiece. I mean, it really is. I think also once we get to the vocals, both the the sung vocals and the rapped vocals, it adds to the aesthetic that I mentioned earlier of something both powerful and majestic, but also haunting. This idea that love can be all of these different things, and I think that adds credence to this kind of lens that we're looking at it through. I think also the the kind of twinkles, as I put it, of the instrumentation, both the strings and everything else, kind of just adds this kind of glitter to everything that we're hearing here. But it, there is one little section that was a kind of an oddball for me. The strings start taking the forefront and get a little bit towards the furious side. They've been very passive. Yeah, that was this around piece, 2 minutes 44 seconds. The violins really, really pick up pace yeah. coming from such a relaxing sentiment. This is, this was a little bit strange. But that, that was really the, the predecessor to the rapping. So obviously they were building up to, you know, to that... that monologue. Yeah, it was approaching jarring, I guess. I mean, nothing in here so far on this album, even when they have a big tonal shift, really is jarring. I think it may just be the nature of what they're do doing here. Having strings are just immensely easy to really change, both 
uh, tonally, speed-wise, style-wise. I mean, if you're having glissandos all over the place, I mean, you're already doing that to begin with. And this instrument is really meant to be fooled around with as you go along. Yeah, solid. It's a... Uh... It's it's you know it's an R and B track. This thing it's a little bit it's a little bit separate from the record. I think maybe in terms of style, but it 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 it, it fits together. It still you feel still feel like the, I mean, the album flow is not broken. No, and it's not uncommon for a rap album to dip into R and B anyway. I mean I've heard other rappers do that, so it's not super foreign for within the structure of this kind of combined framework that we're working with anyway. If we're talking about going off uh, and doing the different things, Walk On By is another new sound. So this one, this song from the moment it starts has swagger, intense swagger, and this kind of groove that... Bluesy. Yeah. That's the first thing that came to mind, though it doesn't seem to be the typical bluesy kind of a noise. I think it's influence. It definitely has this kind of blues... Uh, Sauntering kind of a beat. That's, yeah. that's probably even more appropriate. Much of the of the strings seem tamed in this case, though. Well, because this song seems all about the rhythm. Um, you might say it's all about that bass. Uh. <laughs> I hated myself for saying it. Um, Good. But, but then it really begins. After yeah. this introduction, it really does take a, a big step in the more experimental direction. The instruments really just get full of attitude. Yet at the end of the day, for me... This song became a little bit of a round. It is primarily instrumental, with the exception of... Some lyrics here and there, repeated lines and a few... Walk on. Yeah. It's, that's all that's really getting said, and it's more of a statement than working it, it, melodically. It gets a little more in-depth later, and there's a few more lines beyond walk, walk on, walk on by. But the focus here is not the lyrics for sure. It is the instrumentation, though it doesn't reach out as far as some of the previous tracks had. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the rhythm here, even the fact that it seemed like... It sounded the most drum-like on the record. I think that was a really nice thing, because uh, the beatbox can can wear on me a little. But this and this very well could have been the beatbox, but it sounded a lot tighter. It sounded a lot more, you know, like there's a human hand behind it. Um, it also the fact that it progresses, the the rhythm progresses as yes. it's at walking pace. Um, walk on by and combined with the organ in the beginning, you know, there's just something a lot more, a little bit more relaxed about this. But it it, it takes into account different things like in the vein of r&b you have that gospel element here you have a lot of just the you know the ooh walk on in the background and it's 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 intensely gospel and all this stuff is very interconnected so they're you know dancing around various little elements of the classical community very various little elements of the hip-hop community but also and then it looks like they were just trying to say in a very safe area as far as the melody really goes, I mean, the song doesn't really progress much. This isn't, this isn't Shaker in, in the least. It really is just playing around with the instrumentation, but not going full force for it. could be argued that Shaker didn't really progress much, that they just kind of like infused various inserts in the middle of a fairly easy to digest piece. Um, but this is straight up the easy to digest piece. I feel. I'm not really sure exactly what the message here is, and, and just a little note on, on the, the violin part, which is still my favorite part, it, it seems kind of implacable, because there are times here where it feels almost like Cajun, and then there's other times where it goes back to that Mideast influence, 
and other times like around two minute 15 seconds where just like really revs up and, and starts becoming a little bit manic so you know you still get a kind of a well-rounded sense of what they do in this track it's just uh, a little all over the place identity wise i just i think ultimately at the end of the day it wasn't as engaging as the previous tracks had been i didn't get really kind of pulled in like i had been in the previous yeah, tracks but yeah it, I'm, I'm accepting of a couple of those per record the the bridge tracks no of course i mean i don't think this is this hurts the record in any way personally i just don't think it jumped out particularly either well, some some people might have had a similar problem with the next track uh track eight day two but then again it it offered a little bit more for me although perhaps for for reasons which are more up my alley uh this for instance the deep bass and drum effect at the very very beginning was extremely engaging from the get-go and oh, i it was wicked it, it, it really was it's like a bass drum fusion like i really mean it's not just like the two operating together it sounds like it's just one sound but you get the effect of both this 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 thump uh, it's it's it really reminded me of Black Messiah actually from D'Angelo and the Vanguard that that uncanny sound that none of us could really place uh, at the beginning of that that was back in episode 128 if you want to go back and and have it here for yourself because it's something about that I've never really heard anywhere else across any genre and it seems to have been captured only here and there. It should be said that this is also another completely instrumental track and what I like about that intro is that it then gives way to this beautiful piano and string kind of melody that I, almost feels like it's rising above that deep sound. I call it the raindrop piano and the windswept strings because that's was the duality going on right there. The pianos were very lightly touched but they were very pointed. It, they repeated a little bit over and over but would tonally shift or would change that repetition as it goes along mm-hmm. it, it's, kind of, it's kind of the of dominant the, element as well the breath of the strings though really did a lot to ease around these notes to ease around these pieces to do a lot with that complexity well they tend to be very theatrical here at this moment the strings are very theatrical and it's a strange it's strange coming out of that that sound which is very pervasive which sounds like it really couldn't you know exist in a theater community the really really heavy uh, bass drum effect it honestly sounds as if the mic is like at its peak, like it's just completely maxed out. Um, and then from that, we go into something theatrical. So it's, it's, I don't know, this is interesting. I can only see this through the lens of, of what Matt interpreted here, which was really straight off the title itself, Day Two. So yeah, I, the best way to explain it is to just give the sentence that I gave Steve earlier. <laughs> go for it. The second day of the rest of your life, this idea that Day Two obviously comes after day one and day one is this terrible tragic thing the murkiness of this beginning the beginning part of this track and day two is the rising above whatever that tragedy was you know from it sounds incredibly cliche on the face of it day two of the rest of your life but but when you consider the structure of this coming from that really really heavy-handed intro into this very grand uh uplifting track which just feels very hopeful like well ultimately that's what the track feels is very hopeful i had a different metaphorical take and that was genesis day two day one was let there be light but day two was the firmament the actual Mm. creation of the earth and there was a lot of i'm jewish that's in your thing, yeah, too. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, part of right. your thing. You, oh, what a bad, oh, horrible. <laughs> I'm the worst. Shame, shame. I'm terrible. Anyway, it was, it was sort of <laughs> more grounded in the exploration of the complexity they first set out here. Because while it doesn't really seem to get more complex, it seems that it shifts as it goes along. Different elements are trying different things. But the, the core elements of the piano raindrops and the wind I got from... Uh, the strings coupled with the very deep tones of the, the, the beat and the bass really did a lot to represent 
the kind of the elements coming together for me. Yeah, and I mean, th- again, I hate to recycle the same terms, but you know, the whole it feels ornate, it feels embellished, and it felt just like it 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 almost belonged maybe a little bit in a different time. But at this time, I'm not talking like you know back in classical era. I mean more like the '70s, like the Gene Page experimentation, that kind of thing. That that's what I sort of was getting at in the very beginning when I said there was a little bit of like funk. Um, funk inserts here, specifically in the strings, the way the strings are used. That's um, that's the kind of thing that Gene Page did back in the 70s. He was, he, he brought, you know, the, I, I think, guess the soul of funk into the orchestral environment. Um, but then, honestly enough, we're back to like a more solo environment at the end. It feels like Itzhak Perlman is playing. This is the virtuosic level that, that Kev Marcus is reaching. Um, my only problem with this track, as far as my, my transition was concerned, was that it felt so all over the place that it was maybe also kind of lacking the identity that I felt in Walk On By. But, but, I was defensive of the fact that each and every individual element was just so strong. In, it was, in this, you know. yeah, it was just solid thrown through for me. And I felt that the outro, the outro that it gave way to was kind of charming in a way. Like you said, it was very it, virtuosic. It's, it's but, equally as off the wall. It's yeah. a harpsichord solo. <laughs> yeah, and it's which just randomly at the end. doesn't appear anywhere else on the this album, but it's this is the last five seconds of this. It, but, it's a little bit of a throwaway. But at but. the same, well, no, at the same time, it's kind of uh, different. It, it's transitioning to the next day. Yeah, in a lot of ways. It's, it's the way that started one strange yeah. way, then gave way to this beautiful centerpiece, and then a strange outro. Or multiple beautiful centerpieces. Oh, but, but, it was, that's, it was, but what I'm saying is that it definitely the structure conveys this going from day to day, and possibly the transition pieces between. Yeah. And, and honestly, honestly, it's strange to uh, sort of mention this at the end, but I think the main theme maybe keeps this a lot tighter than the previous track did. The whole vagueness of Walk On was a little bit, you know, just sort of said from every angle, and then all of a sudden here we have a centralized uh, main theme. It's an instrumental theme but the first time you hear it is around like the one minute mark and you hear it progressively throughout the remaining of the track this very decisive uh theme that they keep going back to which actually has a little glissando embedded within the melody itself which is a really nice tool normally glissandos just appear from the right and then from the left it's a little (laughs) little little you know sound bites this is just part of the melody accept it (laughs) all right i will um then we will move on track nine magic and so this is the first moment on the record I feel that we're truly getting something that I envision anyway as mainstream radio play sound. So it starts very swoony instrumentally. Um, we, we don't have to wait long to get some croony, very beautiful lyrics and it's vocals. Like we've had many weeks, I'd say this is the piano ballad of the album. Yeah, sure. But I in a lot of ways, agree. it's still remaining within R&B that we've gotten earlier on the album in very places, but it seems like this element is now taking the forefront here. It seems to be a standard, quote, slow build for an R&B song. The just introduce one element at a time, integrate it, go on to the next. And with those vocals, well, honestly, I fell in love with the vocals. This is my favorite track as far as the singing goes. Um, to be honest, the vocals are pretty, but I, I'm all about some of the other tracks in this album, earlier and later, I think are, are some of its strongest uh the album's strongest place. Maybe it's the lyrics that held me back. Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, he has a beautiful voice. But the core of this track is, yes, it's magic, and so are you. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's a little, I can't. I well, can't with it. That wasn't my tipping point. My tipping point on this was that there is no experimentation here 
as far as what the strings are doing. And they the were... The strings are just flowing. They're beautiful. They're they pretty. Were, they were... But they lost a lot of their identity. They were flowing. They were pretty. And that's never a bad thing. Except when your strings were also a core component of the identity of the piece. And here, but it's not I don't that they're well, it's not that they're non-existent, but it, but it's that there's there's so much in the background here. Yes. This this track, they definitely are. Yeah, I'm not gonna say looped, but they're it's composed, it's fluid. It's just they don't leap out in any moment. You just kind of accept them as a background. With the exception of when he says magic, then the violins really take on a nice interesting air in that part but like you yeah. said it's not really paired with the best lyrics in the world i feel yeah. like that aside though about the lyrical content specifically i feel like it doesn't convey as hokey though because it still seems sincere it doesn't feel oh, of course oh, it's yes. sincere. It, it feels very sincere and very upfront i just don't think it's just like it's some of the weaker writing on the album sure. uh there's another line here i thought i was nothing turns out i'm something I think, but but <laughs> like, see, your delivery and his delivery are not the same, and I and think that's, that's what makes it different. I it's, heard his delivery, the, and it's it's still very beautiful. But it, I, I believe he achieved greater things in other parts of the album. There's something about this which just felt me. I just felt very relaxed, and that's about it. I'm okay with that in this case. Yeah, I think, it wasn't a high point of the album by no stretch, but it was a nice transition piece but it, I don't want to call it that it was the it's... first time the vocals were featured as the prominent thing and while typically a lot of the songs that we enjoyed didn't focus on the vocals I didn't mind it here because the delivery was beautiful even if the well, lyrics left something to be it also it was had... more than that too it was also the beat this whole like one two three two it's and nice it's flowing but everything about this is just you know almost a static even the piano block. even the piano was merely supporting the vocals instead of really reaching out the way it did in other parts of the album. That's my, my key problem. I wanted more piano, more solos, more something in this track uh, along going along with, you know, more to the lyrics themselves. Uh, but I, I think I recalled this at the concert as well, and I also just kind of, like, flowed to it there. And believe it or not, everyone was very much in the zone. So I'm maybe a little bit on the peripheral with this. It's it's the most lovey-dovey track. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, there's it's nothing no... wrong with happiness, yeah. but that's not where the drama is. Oh, Give me whatever. drama. Well, we get drama in the next track, track 10, Stay Clear, which starts off with a keyboard oh. and beat that's just purely funk. A so this keyboard. track is this track is also featuring Robert Glasper and Candace Springs, which we don't want to forget to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Candace Springs, who I believe is the vocalist, and we're Robert inclined. Robert Glasper. I'm almost positive is the is the uh, the keyboardist. Okay. I mean, there's something about it. Who even if you listen to this, it feels like it's a whole separate element. I started to mention little hints of like Gene Page, uh, uh, who is a composer, of course, um, orchestrator. Uh, in the funk vein. Well, this time we get funk again, but more in the keyboard. Uh, this is the kind of keyboard that you get out of, like, uh, the best of Rayman Zarek, the best of uh, Billy Preston, this this level of a, of a keyboard Mo- funk solo. The best Motown or uh, late Motown Michael Jackson style where it really, it, this whole track really ends up screaming Michael Jackson to me in so many different ways. That See, that's more in the vocalist. That's where we jump over to Candace Springs. Well, of course, high vocals. Well, so was Michael Jackson. And it's just, it's right in the same range. So when you combine it all together and the fact that certainly the earliest stuff that Michael Jackson did, like off off the wall, that's, that's very funk vein. It's living in the time period. No, absolutely. I mean, and I think... What I really like about the track as a whole is the kind of groove that it sets. You can kind of get lost in, even though 
the intricacies aren't here as much as they are in previous tracks, especially on the front half of this record. I think that I can still very hypnotically get wrapped up in the track oh, anyway. Oh, not entirely. But After all, the the, yeah. the keyboard begins, and, and it's very strong initially. It's felt like it almost receded into the background for maybe the bulk uh, first portion of the track. Uh, but then it exploded again in the end with an extremely wicked solo, which was just all out Billy Preston. I, but what's that's just between, a guilty pleasure for me. What's in between was a little bit of an issue because I wasn't enjoying the the mixing level of some parts. It felt like uh, a I little bit was kind of hitting too close to one another. I still feel like if you enjoy Michael Jackson, though, you're going to enjoy this track. Yeah, oh, but yeah, Michael Jackson, no, 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 even though no, no, no. Michael Jackson always was a forefront character. With his vocals here, I didn't feel like the vocals were that strong at oh, that I level. I disagree. I believe yeah. they were very strong. The only reason I maybe put them second place is just because I'm all about that keyboard. <laughs> that's about it. Right. That's, that's it's just you know guilty pleasure. That's I not. Mean, that's not a critique. This was a this was a solid track. It kept growing on me. Also, like on every successive listen on headphones, it's phenomenal. It just you, you can't help but get wrapped up in the rhythm of it. Yeah, but but it feel I felt like there was all this energy. I just didn't feel it being channeled. Uh, I felt like it was there, and it it's it it except for the beginning and the end, which really did a lot to bookend what seemed like a lot of impotent energy for me. Really, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't agree on this one. This 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 track. I felt was at least reaching some kind of hype. Maybe the only the only reason is because, of course, the the the, the strings are suddenly not the thing we're talking about. And that's well, the only yes, thing that keeps it a that. little bit separate. But that's okay. That's. I mean, I think gotta, that that's a point in the plus column that we're not talking about the strings for once. I yeah. feel like it's giving us a different perspective on a band that we've been listening to. Instead of just going up, oh, well, the strings are pretty. Up, oh, well, the strings actually, are pretty. Like it's, I, it's further, giving us something else to talk it's about. It's further obviously. than that. This is the first time we're not saying, "Oh, I wish there was more strings when the strings were in present." True. At this, in this case, it's okay. They're not taking the forefront, and I'm perfectly okay with that. That might be the better argument for this track. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> track eleven, losing control. This takes the. I mean, as much as I love the whole funk thing, this this really returns to the kind of melodies that I am looking for, and I, I feel this does uh, beat out magic in some ways, and returns to the same things we got earlier on the album back in Another Chance. The really strong melodies. Um, losing my composure, losing control, because I'm losing you, I'm losing you. It sounds like a simple message, but it's it it's. It's, it's all in the tone here. First of all, the piano starts this off as if it's about to set up a tragedy. And then just the manic nature of this with the, the, the drums rolling in the background, constantly and making you feel as if you're just on the edge of something, on the precipice, and you're literally about to lose control. And then you have the string swells even further promoting this. It felt very classically orchestrated. For the beginning, even though I did recognize modern elements in it, it it seemed like it was that sort of a of a of a slant on it that it felt like a full orchestra piece. And yet, it also felt extremely modern to me when he goes back to that that chorus. It was an incredible combination. Because I'm losing control, he he belts this out. This is all of a sudden. This is not that flat vocal style that I described earlier on. The the vocal style he used back in Invisible, um, where which is all well and good. I think it served to just kind of like say his message there but all of a sudden here we have a different theme we're talking about losing control so obviously you want to feel like the character is is really singing his way out this is his call of of desperation and and uh will be 
who does the vocals on his side, I remember being blown away by this at the concert. The, the, one of the first times at the concert where I was actually purely focused on, on the vocals, even maybe ahead of the, the strings, as good as they are. Well, I think also what I like about this song in a modern sense is that it reminds me of a band that we've talked about previously on the podcast, Flowbots. And it has, the Flowbots also integrated a lot of hip hop with modern sounds and strings. And I think this brings me back to that. So uh, essentially, uh, initially, I already have that positive for it because I really like Flowbots. But then I add on to that, while seemingly cheesy at standalone, these power piano notes, the, the repeated notes over and over again to punctuate these moments, can seem cheesy at first, but within the construction of the song, really make it jump out at you. And even when he's not talking, the strings are doing a lot to sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, repeat the voice, emulate the voice, but still remain its own identity. It's a, an incredible trade-off because the, the, the actual sound of the two are different enough that you can definitely hear it, but it almost creates a call and response between the two pieces. It's, it's because it's because of the the um the juxtaposition where when you're going from the chorus and and uh he's belting out because I'm losing you because I'm losing you and then suddenly following that it yields to this very staccato violin interlude uh which Kev Marcus plays and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's something about it wasn't a some, solo honestly. It wasn't a traditional solo with nothing else going on. But I I could only focus on the strings. Right yeah, now. no, I could only focus on the violin. It's, it's it's an interlude. Yeah, not really a solo. And it's it's again with just you know the steady staccato uh, pieces. It feels like almost as if you go from his little call of despair into suddenly the the sitting and and contemplating and kind of you know biting your nails. That's almost the way I I feel. It just it's. It almost makes me feel a little bit sick inside. But that may be a far way to go, but I loved it. I also want to take some time, while we're talking about the structure of this song, the vocals, how well they blended with the instrumentation in this track. Whereas we were saying they were at the forefront before, while they still are really stand out here, they blend really well with and the I, instrumentation we I think get. they did a lot with how I'm regarding the violins in this piece because the violins are at that same level and that's why it feels like it's a trade-off between the two pieces, the two instruments. Well, what? when the violins do finally hit their own solo, uh, you get a lot of the like wide intervals and it seems very playful while in the same manner making you feel just as tense. And it's something about that, that fusion which makes this wholly likable to me. There's, a, there's a, a mild franticness to this track that we get a little more in the next track when we get there, but I think that hint at franticness is what really also connects this to the tail end of the record. It does a good part in starting to sum up the theme and the story that we're getting throughout this album. Uh, the sort of uh, explanation of an individual that we've gotten thus far. From here, track 12, we go into Running, which is the, I guess, in a lot of ways it's the final track. In a lot of ways, it's not. So, because there is one to follow. Well, this is the most musish intro, just just as far as orchestration is concerned. Oh, it yes. feels very grand at times, even also very Danny Elfman, you know, actually have orchestras to like pin down at this time. The intro has this kind of all rise string feel that builds and builds and builds. Until, even more so than the previous track. Yeah. Right. And then it gets to this crescendo moment and then at 35 seconds drops out completely. And then the instrumentation that comes to follow, they essentially drop the beat out and then come back with this instrumentation that feels well, truly frantic. Well, it's again one of those strong hip-hop, you know, infusions following yeah. something very It wasn't cinematic. just an infusion. The strings went hip-hop. They went oh, yeah. full well, hip-hop. They went hip-hop. It, 
I don't know. I actually had one little problem with this, this track. I felt like there was something a little bit dry in the mix. I mean, I guess. I don't know. For me, like what I really liked about the track as a whole is that here we don't get any vocals. Instead, the violin seems to almost be the vocalist they're, here. Yeah, they're fully emulated vocals. The strings are emulated vocals. And what I like about the strings here as opposed to any other track on the record is like vocals tend to have a versatility with hip-hop where as long as you know where the beat is you can kind of create very interesting and unique flows between beat to beat that's what the the strings are doing here and i think that's a yeah. fantastic like perspective to take with the strings it felt like this track actually did have a chorus have a verse set up to it and they didn't repeat the strings did not repeat which even promotes that a little bit further because if you're doing a section I'm regarding as a verse with a string, you can't do it again if it's going to be a quote verse and they don't do it. They really just sort of emulate a different sort of tempo, a different sort of voice or framework in as, as far as a, a rapping violin can do. My only problem with this track, and it's minor, um, is a little bit of the timing of this. It felt as if it's a little bit predictable, I think, to bookend the album in this in this sense just to sort of close it out with the big grand outro, I feel like I wanted something a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more demure or something. I guess, but considering the drama we started this album with, I expected something like that's this. Just, that's end. just why. And um, I don't well, always, the building I'm not of, always down on what I expect, but this is this is what I expected. And they, the they threw me for of, a loop they in most it. of this album, and I enjoy when they threw me for a loop. Well, it was the build of Stay Clear, Losing Control, Rotten. They did have a very strict arc with these last three tracks that was present from the first of them. Oh, and then the final thing is I, I just didn't, I, I couldn't find that melody that felt as as powerful to me in yes. Ronin as other tracks. As much as I'm loving the strings and the way I'm really getting a story without words through them, there wasn't something for me to latch on the same way here. It wasn't like going, ooh, ah, I wasn't being blown away to, to have a, in this finale track. I was just enjoying it as another song, another piece. That said, going to the fu actual final track of the album, it's track 13, which is a remix of Magic done by Jason Nevins, who's a well-known DJ who's done tons of remixes. I had to look him up, though, because I didn't know the name, because I'm old. Leave it be. Um, <laughs> it's his birthday. <laughs> so the thing here, and me and John are kind of on opposite ends here. Um, so this version of Magic is a dance remix through and through. It is absolutely, its purpose is to get you on the dance floor. And that said, I don't really mind it because for me, I feel on the whole, and I'm gonna generalize before we dig a little deeper, I don't feel it added anything to the song other than a dance beat, but I don't feel like it really took anything away by speeding it up. I feel like it just made it a dance song and it was a different perspective on a, on, on a different perspective on something we already saw. It is just like what I explained before about the uh, original track, Magic, and how it was it was played at the concert, and I sensed that everyone was enjoying it. It was a nice ballad there. Well, obviously, if the track works as a ballad, you'd think it would also work well as a dance track. It's just another one of those tracks that seemed a little bit more inviting. It may not have been as much of my cup of tea because it was one of those just sit back, let it flow kind of tracks. That's the way I feel just as equally about a lot of ballads as I do remixes, so I think it's very appropriate to say, yeah, it really didn't add or take away anything. For me, it did take away the one part I loved about Magic, and that was the vocal work. It was a tempo increase that kind of ruined it for me. What because you expect the, with the dance track. Exactly, and the vocals themselves are a little more sp uh, sped up, but this slight increase, 
uh, uh, Steve, you said it was probably around about a 20 beats per second, maybe? 120, yeah, BPM, if maybe the original was 100, I don't know. It's not much of a change, but it is enough to really hurt the flow for me. There wasn't the long pauses that the previous version had. It wasn't sort of the weightiness that I liked of the vocals. So it was a little bit of a downturn. But it did add one other thing, and this will kind of just go back to me and Matt's point about it sort of being essentially even, and the other thing is really more toward the end. It's like little, little guitars stepped in. I really didn't hear any guitar throughout this entire album, but suddenly here at the tail end, just these little little notes that sound very... Very post-rock. The fact that they kind of just like last for for certain you know seconds on end, it, it it added some kind of dynamic quality to this track that at least was able to reel me in two thirds of the way through, which is a little late, but frankly, I, it worked, and I thought it was another element that very very easily could have been a part of their style, just to show how how um how easily they work with other things. I agree, but at the same time. It's it's weird for me to say it's weird to hear a guitar. <laughs> that's that's what it came I up see, to me. The post rock style though, that really long drawn out you know approach, I I felt like that was about the most delicate way they could have introduced the guitar, There's and I, also, it didn't it didn't phase me. There's also a little bit I guess of cheekiness or maybe even irony that the new element they're introducing as a guitar does a lot to to end the album as a whole on. A different note, because like we said, this is a remix of a previous track, while Running was sort of the unofficial official ending. I don't know how to take this song with its changes and with, a, frankly, a brand new element as part of the album. I say you take it like you took the rest of this album. This album has kind of been a cavalcade of random put together. It, 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 I, I wouldn't I, be that. No. Well, not a cavalcade of random, but as I said to Steve earlier, it was a, it, it's a seri- it's, this is not a movie. It's a series of vignettes with a run-through of a theme, a through line. I don't think this is one big picture that we have to go, Matt, uh, 13, this remix doesn't make a proper conclusion. Because I feel like, while the intro introduces the record in a way that I think is appropriate for the record, and that's really the only true track one, the other stuff does feel like moments in an overall album that could be arranged kind of differently. No, no, I'm refuting that right away. I'm seeing a very strong narrative, both through the storytelling elements of the lyrics as well as the instrumentation. Well, then why don't you take us into our wrap-up? In this album, we have a great through line of a, a, a great fusion idea that shows itself to really be even more diverse than just a classical hip-hop combination. There's blues elements, there's jazzy elements, there's a lot of R&B, and these elements come through in stages. They get introduced over time. It's great to see sort of evolution of trying to integrate, or not trying, succeeding in integrating a violin-viola combination with a heavy reliance upon rhythm that a lot of ways is being portrayed through a piano. I mean, we're getting three solid classical elements creating hip-hop with little influence from the outside modern-day quote-unquote instrumentation that we're used to. That's phenomenal. That's an incredible idea. That's a great shift. It's one I don't hear very often. Usually there's a, a crutch associated with this. You're going to have 
a much heavier reliance on a beatbox or a rhythm section in general. You can have a reliance on guitar work or on heavy, heavy bass work just to keep you going. You can have a lot of reliance on vocal work. And here, plenty of these songs, yes, don't have vocals, but even the songs with them use the violin as a real voice. And that is beautiful. That is a very classical idea that really just translates well to this hip-hop album. All that said, I do have issues, but the issues are so, oh, it's just not as good kind of issues that seem to arise with a lot of albums I love. I don't know how often I'm going to listen to it, but I want this to be a steady rotation piece. I guess that's where I'm really coming at it at this point. Because I'm not a heavy hip-hop guy, so I guess the one thing, I like hip-hop, I like rap, and I do dive into it, but I don't dive into it as full force, and I think that might be my one detractor of this. So from a personal taste, it's it just it's not quite there. But I can't really discredit it much for being a personal taste. Uh, for that, it's a 4-5. It's not mind-blowing by any stretch as far as the story goes, but the narrative's there. It's not mind-blowing for the instrumentation, but it's solid throughout. It's not, it's not like the next big thing, but it's something I want other people to do. Just really explore the potential that I think is kind of lacking in a lot of instrumentation nowadays. I feel like our uh, wrap-ups for this album are gonna be quite contradictory. But maybe Steve will pro- prove me wrong. Because I think this is unlike anything I've ever really heard before. And I think this is something that, that we need to hear more of, but that's very unique. Yes, mixing hip-hop with other things is not super unique. There are tons of artists who have been doing that. But definitely taking this this perspective on it is not anything I've heard before, for sure. Not for full album's length, at least. I mean, I've heard artists approach it. I mean... Um, an Adam Warrock song featuring MC Fernalot and Lewis Logic called Salieri, of course, had classical elements because it's about Salieri. Hmm. But a whole album of beautiful classical strings with fantastic hip-hop beats, great rap, and wonderful instrumental moments, this album uh, transcends some of the crap we've heard on the show. Some of the great stuff, too, I feel. I think that this goes above and beyond to be different. But they're not they're not setting out to be different. They're just setting out to be themselves. It's the perspective around them that defines them as different or odd or, 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 or unique, whereas they're just doing what feels right to them. And I think that's what this whole album is supposed to shatter in the first place. Stereotypes, when you hear hip-hop and classical, the stereotypes you already create in your head, and this album blows that out of the water. From the intro attacking the problem at hand to going from track to track breaking down the social possibly social issues and personal issues and other issues from their perspective in their own way and you know i don't think it's perfect i think it does have its flaws in moments there were a couple of songs where i thought it did feel a little even but i feel like i can't even fault it for feeling even because like, not every song is going to blow your mind. I feel like even on some of our favorite records, like God Sticks for me, there were moments where I was like, oh, this is something I've heard before. But it's what God Sticks did with something I've heard before to make it them that r- made them rise above everything. And I feel like 
this album does that too. I can't possibly hurt it for its minor flaws when the rest of it just rises above. I'm not going to sidetrack to track, and you guys may think I'm overselling it, but this is a five for me. I think it's a five because it shattered my expectations, and I think it shatters expectations, which at the core is what this album is designed to do. And it also does it by being different. So that's where I lay with it. I was trying to avoid my own language as I said initially that I wrote an article pertaining to this album, and of course that was in relation to the uh, to their live performance. Well, I, I wanted to keep that at the door at least until we finished this talking the album, because at the time I had not yet heard their as yet unreleased album. Well, now it's released, but I still feel like a lot of a lot of sentiments remain with me, and I, w- I would like to go back to a, a couple of, of uh, lines that, that stand out. At least I, I, re- they, I wrote them, so of course they stand out to me um, and my feelings about the group. In the beginning, I wrote, Steeped in classical training and glued to the stage, they noted their 817 show at the Rockwood Music Hall to be their 103rd of the year. It would be inaccurate to say that Black Violin is throwing out the rulebook. Still, the impish delight with which Kev Marcus hyped his audience on Monday night suggested an insatiable penchant for mocking expectations. And I do believe that's what they succeeded on this album. They essentially mocked expectations up and down the line. I do believe maybe they did it a little bit more on stage, though. Because, of course, you're, you're, you're experiencing them live. They're going to be a little bit more playful with it. That's when uh, they mentioned the anecdote that I told you up front about the little backstory about how they met each other when they told their their story about what they're trying to do what they're all about and they played a few things maybe from their previous releases a few things that you know reached more toward i think the the fact they had to prove themselves um that's a little bit of an inappropriate way to saying not so much that they had to prove themselves but like the idea that they would take the brandenburg uh concerto for instance by bach and they would rework it. They would start playing it exactly as written, right? And then all of a sudden, a similar kind of thing is what we noted in in uh, Runnin', the second-to-last track in this album. Drop the bass, in comes the hip-hop. But it was more composition there, I felt. It was more intertwined. It's similar to the stuff we got here in Shaker Song. I'm all about that. I frankly want more of it. I want more of this 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 playfulness with the fusion of the two. But I also want to be... I want to be kind to the fact that... As artists, I don't think that this entire project should be any semblance of a gimmick. I don't want it to become that, like, hey, you know classical, you know hip-hop, well, I'll get ready because we're going to rock your world. That's the kind of thing that maybe you feel like you have to do more for the concert setting. Because that's another thing I noticed about that concert. It was full of all different types of people, all different demographics. Each one probably expected uh, something completely different, and I think they all walked away incredibly satisfied. That shows their power as performers. But this album, I believe it was an album of really amazing pop tracks. This is what I want out of pop, frankly. Um, but I wanted a little bit more in, in the classical vein. Still, it, it's what they were going for from the start, so I, I can't really fault it for that. I can just say that there are certain things I glossed over and certain things which completely had me. And the things that completely had me was their way of reworking pop and seeing pop as this fundamental no-holds-barred fusion of classical and hip-hop. I found that in Losing Control. I found that in Another Chance and in Invisible. These are just like the central tracks to me, even when they decide they're going to embellish in certainly other places. I wanted a little more of one or the other thing, and you can take that how you wish to mean it. But finally, I'll just close this up with a, a 
closing statement um, that speaks to how I think this 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 duo is reaching out to their audience. The success and deference with which the audience regarded their performances exhibited how Black Violin has carefully forged a set list that caters to the diverse and satiates the homespun while also challenging the same. That's the mark of some pretty damn good musicians. I, I'm inclined to agree with John. I think this is just pushed to the great, but I feel like exceptional, we might need to wait at a couple a couple more albums until they sit with their style and make it just a slight bit less of not the gimmick, but what could appear to people as the gimmick and are going to want more of each. That will just follow their careers until then. 4-5 is still a, a great album. I think maybe for them that it might be that third individual, a pianist, possibly, so that no divet, uh, no attention has to be divided upon stage or in compositional work or anything like that. That might be the final little bit. It may, it may not. It's not. It might be a drummer. It might. That's be. not necessarily what was what it I might. was thinking because I also don't want to state uh, that that a soloist cannot rock an album, like. Uh, that's that's something I don't want to like yeah, send across. I don't know what it, it I, it's just one little thing I think that keeps it from being a five. One final step because while they're using so many old school stuff and old school ideas, there's just the reimagining of them. I don't see anything that truly feels new. I think that the reason I've rated it so highly is because I think they're taking something that's completely versatile and reimagining it in a way that works for them. And I, I want to talk a little bit the about fact how... That it, that's also another thing. The fact that it's not maybe wholly new to you, I think, is also what they want. That's, again, in that line. I think they cater to the diverse, but they satiate the homespun. In yeah. other words, it, they'll satisfy just about everybody. Maybe they need to be a little more edgier with it. I don't know. I don't know. I guess. And then also, the last thing is that we kind of ignored the fact that the, the theme, maybe maybe they got a little away from the hard-hitting theme. I don't know if they wanted to stay wholly toward uh, the idea of how stereotypes relates with, you know, um, with, with grander themes and other things going on in the world, but it seemed like they got a little bit away from that. Uh, maybe they should have. Maybe they didn't want to go down the rabbit hole, because then that would be a much more a much more uh, shaky album and people would be thinking about that constantly they want you to focus on the music so that's that's neither here nor there I agree <laughs> neither here nor there um, but but what I wanted to talk about briefly in regards to this record and hip hop in general is that I feel like hip hop makes for good fusion music and we've talked about this a lot especially within the recent years because of how versatile the genre is between the wordsmithing between the beats you know the the bass level building blocks I think are more inclined to be mixed well with other things than say your rock and roll or your alt or even your your pop or I think the hip hop specifically is great for mixing with other genres and makes for great building blocks one of the best reasons for that I think is really because it's so rhythm oriented but desires to have things thrown on top of it and the rhythm itself can be as sparse or as complex as you really want it to be. When your core tempo keeper can be anything you can imagine, instead of having to be part of a drum set or having to be a speed drum or having to be a keyboard electronified and turned into a synthesizer or what have you, when you are able to just have that little part of your song do anything it wants, you're really just not including any genre. It's just genreless at that point. So you can add anything into it. 
But if you keep the basic idea that your rhythm is so mutable, it means that it can pair up with anything. It means it can emulate anything. If it can emulate jazz, it can emulate rock and roll. If it can do that, it can do uh, R&B. If it can do that, it can do Motown. If it can do that, punk. I mean, there's so many different ways you can just take that aspect of it and integrate it with other genres. I think moreover on top of that, the reason hip-hop and rapping is so amenable to being mixed with other things is because at a core, all you need to rap is rapping. You don't need anything else. You don't even need a beat. You don't even need a rhythm. Well, all you need, mm. all you need to rap is the rap. All you, you can do acapella rapping, and you can convey the rhythm or the beat just using your voice. I would say, well, no, you said two things right there, which are actually opposed to one another. You said you don't need a rhythm or so, a beat, and you can convey it with your voice. What I mean is, you don't need a created rhythm. I think the voice okay. itself can do all the work, and that's why it's such a moldable genre. But to get back to the point, just as mm -hmm. easily, a singer can also sing a cappella, sure. and doesn't matter what genre they're in. So that that in itself, I don't think, speaks to the fact that that uh, that rap or that hip hop is. Um, I think most adaptable to everything else. I, th I think, I think the only issue, and I'm, I largely agree with you. I think John kind of hit the nail on the head when he said, "Well, it's it's a form. It's almost genreless when all you have is just simply those bare bones components. The idea that well, a bunch of things can be looped. Anything can be looped. Anything, anything, as long as it it's musical and it functions and it works, then you can just recycle it over and over and over again." Uh, Granted, yes, of course, hip hop is criticized for this. And to be to get back to today's album, of course, I do want to say that's something they did expertly well. And when they chose something that was a loop that I might have called a loop, well, it's not really a loop. It would be something that Kev Marcus actually plays over and over again, and it has consistent power. Um, so it's the kind of thing that hip hop can be criticized for, but it's not. It's not beholden to that. It can break free from it, and once it breaks free from it. I feel that maybe it is moving into its own territory, like the idea of the rhythm itself. I don't. I, I do believe there's maybe a hip hop rhythm. There's something that you can kind of pin down, and when it enters in other genres, you can say, ah, that's hip hop influence. Well, if something is the most adaptable and is relatively genreless. You wouldn't say that th it can be infused in something else. You'd say that other things are infused into it. I well, think that's the difference. Uh, we could say it's infused into other things because those are usually, those sections are usually identifiably rap as well when it comes to the lyrical work. Whether it's speed or slow, whether it's just statement or really going for... Well, like rap rock, for instance, I think is more rock than it is rap, but it brings in the rap element. And the hip-hop element of singing, I mean, that's really where the two things feel like they be, they're be they coupled. You can't separate one from the other when they're commonly used in other genres of music. Yeah, but we also know that there's a difference between rap rock, a la your Limp Bizkit, or rockers who rap, like Incubus, and artists who have integrated hip-hop and rap into rock and roll, and or, or heavy metal. those that actually seem like they integrate rock and roll into hip-hop like the Flowbots, which I would actually right. call them hip-hop first because sure. that's their focus. And then they just bring in, you know, a violin, a bass, and drums, and they call it rock and roll. Right. It's an 
it's it's where you a lot of the skeletal work gets done with this music that are you integrating hip hop into it or is hip hop the starting point well it's not maybe it's not even less of this i think it's about the effectiveness of it and and how infinitely renewable you see it as obviously we threw, threw out the word gimmick earlier and and toying with the idea that something like this could have been a gimmick but uh, thankfully wasn't but there's still that notion that whenever you fuse things together, the whole concept of fusion will initially come across to people as gimmicky. Because if they hear something that, even though they're hearing it simultaneously, they're so so divided down the center, like, well, that's one element, and then that's the other element. And if they just can't reconcile that at the end of the day, it is music, it is new, it is fresh, if they can't come to that conclusion, then you have a little bit of a problem. That That's the definition of a gimmick, regardless of how the artist intended it. Right, but I think also that, like like I mentioned earlier, some of it seems sincere while insincere. I mean, I don't think Limp Bizkit ever came across as sincere, and that was That's part of the problem. Whereas someone like, for example, I interviewed MC Lars, who is one of the forefronts of the rap nerd rap community. He started very much very deep in punk and punk-influenced music, and then burgeoned to rapping and... He, but the punk influence is still there. The ska influence is still there. And it, it's sincere and natural, so it feels right, and it fuses together. Well, not that I'm coming from any like place where I'm warmly defending uh, Limp Bizkit or anything, right. but of course you know that because you interviewed MC Lars. Well, great. Sure. Great. So, you know, of course he's going to, he's going to say, yeah, sincere comments. Most people speak sincerely. I bet if you interviewed Limp Bizkit, they would claim that they believed in what but, they're doing, and no artist truly does intend their work to be a gimmick. But... For very few. But what I'm saying is you can hear it regardless of what mc large said you can hear how sincere the music sounds where it's coming from this place it doesn't feel fabricated almost like it, the same thing when you're talking about a tv personality how sometimes they can feel plastic or fake it's the same idea like certain artists just come across as unnatural well let me play devil's advocate against myself also the whole concept of a gimmick is really a word that i think critics invented yeah. because so few artists actually i think set out there purely for money makers oh, yes sure. we all know the instances in which it's, it's occurred but they are just so non-numerous that it, the, to 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 harp on that and call this entire like epidemic of of gimmicks, it's just it's it's overstating it. I think it's wanting to believe that there's more of a conspiracy abound than actually exists. Artists tend to believe in what they do, and then critics will invent the word gimmick when they believe the artist was not considering their work in the greater context of what they're offering society. There's also just the fact that. For hip-hop, rap, and to some extent, even R&B, which is a more progenitor version of, of hip-hop and rap, the content really has no limitations. Because when we listen to, just historically, some like classic rock, alternative rock, punk, there's certain expectations of what should be sung about. And when the person goes out and sings about something that does not meet those expectations or is something completely different or exceeds it or what have you, they're genre-defying in all, so many different ways. And in hip-hop, you don't have genre-defying. You merely have a person's opinion. That was one of the, 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 the real cornerstones, as we mentioned earlier of hip-hop is that it can talk about anything. Nerdcore is not weird or unusual. Now? Because, no, even when it was first done. It really should never have been regarded as such because 
hip-hop started off talking about the most random of things. How is this any more random? How is talking about Ninja Turtles any more random than starting to rap about, you know, life on the streets or rap about, you know, gun shootings or anything like that, which were some of these early ideas. It was just talking about society in so many ways, talking about people. Well, there's so many facets of society. Why is it weird to have people from India talk hip-hopping, uh, uh, rapping about Indian life? Why is it so weird that when a Brit does it or something like that? Yet these are still kind of like borderline examples. All right, well, let me bring it home. If you're talking about just hip-hop itself, then I'll, I'll come forth with a little bit of a, uh, a stereotype um, just to bring it home. All right, this, this album today, Stereotypes. I almost expect hip-hop to address the subject of race relations. It comes up a lot. A lot of, of hip-hop will focus on that particular thing. A lot of it will be because of the demographics involved. Well, this is obviously the thing that, that you know, today's album uh, that Black Violin was set, set out to break um, is this whole concept. But I'll just go ahead and read another little um, line from, from my article. Is that toward the end of that very first paragraph, I said that further poking fun at the concept of blending classical music with hip-hop and turning their backs to a generation of labeling and partitioning Black Violin's namesake, along with its upcoming album stereotypes, both appear to confront music goers more than they do social politics. And I think that's, at the end of the day, what they were setting to break. My own preconceptions. I realized it at that moment, and I realized it today. Maybe if you're just looking at the flow of an album, I can say the critique that, oh, well, maybe stereotypes... I'm almost disappointed they didn't look at it in a broader in a broader sense on a track by track level. But I am kind of glad that they didn't because if you're going to be that pigeonholed about it, then they're just satisfying my stereotype, and, and they didn't. But but hip hop in general has always been a beautiful voice for society in many different ways. That, that beautiful voice allows you to say whatever you want, and that gives you freedom to really integrate anything into it. If you're already within the framework of being able to be rude to society, to be honest about society, you can add anything that you want on top of it. I mean, I think that the, the ability to manipulate it that way does give it that versatility, but I think at its core, the versatility still comes from the style itself um i mean i understand what steve's saying about it can come off as genreless especially considering the basic building blocks but i think maybe considering it being genreless also makes it genre defiant which also adds a versatility but that's just the thing that i don't agree with i don't believe that there's a genreless quality to it okay i believe that that there are sound there are things we obviously associate with hip-hop we've said it time and time again on the podcast we say oh that's more of a hip-hop beat oh well that's more of a rapping style and as silly as that is to just say a oh, rapping style well, of course he's rapping it's an element it's not a genre but it brings us back to the more focused category or genre that is rap which would be in and under hip-hop, where you'll be expecting that for the duration. And this is the silly thing about genres, is that even in most rap albums, there would be sections that are completely instrumental and, and then step out and borrow other things. But at the end of the day, they come back to the rap because that's the focus. It's just, I feel that it has become an identity, a very strong identity, otherwise it, it wouldn't, it really wouldn't persist well, you know, up to, to 30 years now, 30, 40 almost. It's 
it, it has its character and people are going to see it in a certain light and there's really no reason why any other genre can't be just as adaptable i think we've seen it also just as much I guess. I don't know. I guess it's just standing out for me maybe because it's what I'm seeing stand out the most above everything else. It's rarer that I see rock bands stand up above the mark than Really? Because look at what we do. All right, 160-something albums. Not really 150-something albums. But um, just because of our our tastes, and of course we'd always try to get out of our tastes as the result of fan requests, guest requests, but um, a lot of it has been rock. A lot of it because rock is kind of the more of the dominant uh, uh, genre in America. It's it's being a little bit usurped by hip hop, but it all depends on what your perspective is. We've done a lot of rock albums. There's still a, a heap of rock albums being released, and yet we're constantly looking to find things that are not rock on those rock albums. We're always yeah. pointing out things they introduce because a rock album, whenever it just stays purely rock nowadays. Either is number one boring or number two it's 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 repetitive. We've we've done that already. We've had rock has had its shot as the dominant force of America. So now we're constantly looking for albums to reach out into other things. If we want to go back to good old rock, then we have we have the history for that. We have the existing uh, set of albums as exist. That's it. I think then uh, it's safe to say that maybe what you consider to be a more versatile genre defying or a more versatile uh, genre mashing up would come from your perspective. Maybe I find that it's hip-hop because I find hip-hop is doing more interesting things, but that doesn't mean that they're the only ones that are adaptable or or good at being adaptable. It's just the things that I'm seeing that are adapted very well are in that vein. But I also see a lot, and this does not apply to today's album, of uh, cases where hip-hop hip-hop will just make other or other genres a part of its own it'll just bring it in and then all of a sudden you're hearing hip-hop something else hip-hop this hip-hop that you know insert a hyphen whatever you will but there's other genres or you can't even say genres at that point there are other artists all across the board who are trying to really really reach out and it's like whatever genre they started with they don't want to be that genre at the end of the day they just want to be their own selves. They, they want, want to be, be themselves. They want to be they want people to know them by the artist and not the music they, they play. I think that's the best thing about this kind of fusion, and we can kind of wrap up on this, is that you shouldn't, and I don't think any of these artists do, set out to be a genre. They set out to be themselves, and they happen to fall into these categories as arbitrary as they are sometimes. Just like Kev Marcus said, well, we just for us, it was just a matter of putting two worlds together. It was almost like he never even thought about it. That's actually another line from my article, just to be entirely self-invested. Mark, Marcus described the fusion as if it were entirely self-apparent, like an inventor who had all the tools in front of him and just visualized the solution. I, think, I liked that line. I wrote that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. I think that that actually is a good way to sum it up in this idea that at the end of the day, it's the tools you have and whatever you think is the most versatile tool in your toolbox is what you should use to make your music. Yeah. And I think that's... They, that's they obviously good. have the benefit of being virtuosos, yes. which is a pretty powerful tool. And if you don't have enough tools, well, then get a bigger toolbox. Find someone. Wise words. Music advice from John. No, they have on this album multiple individuals that came as guest artists. True. They went okay, out now I see your point. And found more tools to see work guys, with. See guys, when when you I'm not calling them tools. They found more artists to work with. When you look behind John's words, there's something there. There's reason. There's something there. There's stuff. 
All right, <laughs> let's get into what we're doing next week since we're at the tail end of this episode. Steve, why don't you uh, do our spam mail, of course, and then tell us our next spam album. Spam mail of the week. With only two skills, you can start basically any business on earth and achieve greatness. This age can differ from state to state and country to country. It will be a good idea to capture these moments in your wedding. An odd shift. Uh, anyway, that's by Make Extra Cash. Okay, no. Number one, what are the two skills? Two skills. Number two, two what skills. age are they talking about? Is this consent or something like that? Well, and I don't. Why is there a wedding? I don't know There's whether this is related. Sentences. I don't know. I don't know whether this is related, but but this time the uh, spam actually came with a YouTube video, okay, which I am no, not but... going to recite the URL. Needless to say, it was just some guy in his dorm, uh, basically telling me how I can make cash via Instagram. So even that is kind of disconnected. Yeah, it was three sentences that had nothing to do with one another. And four and, if you add to YouTube. Well, no, that's not a sentence. That's a URL, and it's useless to begin with because we can't show that on an audio podcast. Yeah, but I'm telling them that we got a YouTube. They can believe me. I don't believe you oh, at this point. That's right. I've just been making up spam for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, it would be unsurprising. We'd have no way of knowing. Actually, frankly, let's be honest. They are quite I am actually inventive. the spammer, and I read my own Yeah, name. exactly. They are quite inventive at times, and even this one is just a pure non-sequitur. So, Steve, what's our album next week? Our album next week is a fan pick. We haven't had that in a few weeks. Um, this is brought to us by the lovely Jessica Ferraro, who's a friend of mine and also the wife of my old friend Mike Ferraro, and she's been saying for a while we should do the band Nothing More, which always reminds me of the line from Nevermore from, from uh, The Raven, Croth The Raven, Nevermore, sure. but this is Nothing More, so maybe it's a little modernized, I don't know. <laughs> so it's actually Nothing More by Nothing More. It's their self-titled album, uh, released back in 2014, so it is a new enough album for us to review it. And we're going to check it out. Apparently they have uh, bases in both uh, San Antonio and New Orleans. Interesting. Yes. All right. Well then, on that bombshell, I guess we'll just say our sign off and go to bed. Music is life. And and life life is is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.